0: Welcome to the Truth Hurts program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Once upon a time, about a million years ago, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, I guess, I had a friend of mine named Bob. And I remember how cool I thought he was because he got something called a cassette tape recorder. He could play tapes. He could record tapes. It was so cool. We actually made our own little radio station out of it. We'd play records and hold the microphone of the cassette player up to the speakers of the record player. And then we'd announce the songs, and then we'd talk about the weather or the sports or whatever. We thought it would be cool and that one day we'd grow up to be famous DJs. I recall that Bob was very stringent about how he handled this tape recorder. He read the instruction manual from cover to cover. And I remember him saying distinctly, never press the rewind button before you hit the stop button, you'll stretch the tape. These were the rules of operating the cassette tape recorder and tape player. If you were going to record, you recorded and then you hit stop and then you hit rewind, and then you hit play. You could never go from record to rewind without hitting stop. That was the rules. Even though the machine worked just as well, if you did go from record to rewind, or play back to rewind without hitting stop first, that was the procedure. That was the way it had to be done. And sure, it only took a second to press the stop button, in the course of an entire day, all of those seconds added up and it became quite frustrating. So I bought my own cassette recorder and did things my way. Now, why am I bringing this up to you folks? Well, it's pretty simple. The House Republicans are a little bit upset that the Democrats are not letting them press the rewind button or the play button or the record button without first hitting stop. You see, the Democrats have put in their own little sets of rules on how they want things done and to hell with anything the Republicans want done. So now the conservatives are striking back. Every single bill, every single thing that is happening in the House of Representatives will now be forced to hit that stop button before they can do anything else. You see, the House of Representatives Republicans warned the House of Representatives Democrats not to weaken one of their very few powers in the minority, but they did it anyway. And now the GOP is seeking political payback. A frustrated portion of GOP's conference in the House is attempting to hamstring the House by refusing to allow quick passage of even non-controversial bills. Even if they agree 100% on a bill, They are now going to force every member of the House to cast an individual vote on the floor. And sometimes they're adding extra procedural votes along the way. The rebellious Republicans say they're responding to broad anger with how Democrats have been running the House. From the lack of GOP amendment opportunities to those razor wire fences erected around the Capitol. Representative Randy Weber, Republican from Texas, said, we're gonna fight fire with fire! It's just that simple! In some ways, the Republicans' tactics are an escalation of how hardline conservatives have exercised their power for years. But now that the shoe is on the other foot and they get to exercise their power, the Democrats are crying, away, away, away! It will now be much more painful for the majority of Democrats to operate. And, of course, the Democrats are warning that this latest gambit could erode one of the last vestiges of bipartisanship in the House, which doesn't actually exist if you look at reality. Relationships in the House have deteriorated in the wake of the January 6th riot at the Capitol, in which only one person died, Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed Air Force veteran who was gunned down in cold blood unarmed woman was by a cowardly capital cop. Democrats argue that attempting to force House votes late into the night for little purpose other than agitation could dramatically slow the chamber's work for years to come. Libertarians are rejoicing. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy are in talks about finding a path forward, and they spoke Tuesday afternoon on the issue. Hoyer has also spoken with Representative Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas, who is also a conservative who has become a master of procedural delays on the floor of the House. Hoyer said of McCarthy, he's working on it, noting they both want to ensure that the House has a way to pass what are known as suspension bills, popular measures that can be fast-tracked on the floor. The way Republicans are doing it now, uh uh-uh. We're going to follow the rules, and we're going to take a vote on each and every issue that comes before us. Now, asked if Democrats are considering changing the chamber's rules to prevent further disruption. Maryland Democrats didn't rule out the possibility if GOP leaders can't reach an agreement with their members. Steny Hoyer said, not yet. At some point in time, if this continues, we'll have to deal with it. Rank and file Republicans are spearheading the latest effort to torpedo the floor schedule, which has claimed some of the GOP's own bills, including a measure to award the Congressional Gold Medal to the Capitol Police after the insurrection. They shouldn't get a gold medal. Why should the Capitol cops get anything? They didn't do their jobs. They didn't protect the House of Representatives or its members or the vice president. They shot a woman dead in cold blood, an unarmed United States Air Force veteran. They shouldn't get a congressional gold medal. Top Republicans are particularly pissed off that Democrats altered the House's motion to recommit, one of the few procedural tools that the chamber's minority can wield. GOP used the motion successfully a number of times in the last Congress to force last-minute changes on legislation at the House floor. Turncoat Republican in name only Liz Cheney of Wyoming said, I think it's a legitimate approach for members of the minority to take. The majority needs to understand we are not interested in a situation where they've taken away so many rights of the minority and they expect things are going to operate smoothly. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that this is going on. I don't like her. I don't like much about her, but in this particular instance, she is correct. Some Republicans sharing their colleagues' frustrations, are reluctant to use bipartisan bills as leverage in a procedural slowdown, or showdown for that matter. Hoyer said uh, there's a lot of disagreement and anger and disappointment on both sides with the GOP's delay tactics. Steve Scalise, the House Minority Whip from Louisiana, the Republican, made it clear Tuesday that the plan to object to routine votes did not come from Republican leadership. Come on now, Steve Scalise. I've had faith in you so far. Don't bail out on us right yet. Republicans at large are still weighing whether to continue the protest, forcing the chamber to convene for even the most mundane bill and potentially turning all floor proceedings into a Senate-like slog. Even the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus held a virtual meeting Monday evening to discuss the strategy of the matter. Republicans also discussed it during a conference meeting Tuesday morning. Later Tuesday afternoon, dozens of GOP lawmakers mounted another disruption by lining up on the House floor to seek unanimous consent on a bill requiring schools to have a reopening plan if they received federal pandemic aid. That move briefly delayed a procedural vote on the coronavirus relief package. It should be this way. Every single measure that comes before the House of Representatives should have a procedural vote. It should have an up or down vote where each member of the House of Representatives has to go on record as to how they vote individually. Representative Warren Davidson is a Republican of Ohio, a member of the Freedom Caucus. He said, there's a lot of frustration in the conference to see the 45-minute votes that turn into hours-long votes. We should be leading the way towards how to go back to fully functional Instead, we're dragging. Democrats argue that they hold a majority, albeit a slim one, and they have every right to run the House as they see fit, especially amid the pandemic. Conservative complaints about the House's lack of transparency or open process long predate Nancy Pelosi's reclaiming of the Speaker's gavel back in 2019. Many Democrats point out the current floor stunt follows their decision to strip controversial Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican of Georgia, of her committees for her record of, quote, incendiary comments, unquote. Her involvement in this current GOP maneuver on the floor strikes those lawmakers as little more than grandstanding or attention-seeking. House Democrat Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries told reporters... She needs to find a hobby other than engaging in unproductive activity and miring herself in conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. My grandmother used to say to me, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Well, guess what, Hakeem Jeffries? You took her away from her committees. You clowns decided that what you say goes and you had her stripped of her committee's positions. So now she has nothing better to do than to stonewall Oh, I'm sorry. Stonewall, Jackson. That would be a racist term, right? No? I can say Stonewall? Stonewall and delay votes. With tension still high the Capitol, Republicans are not alone in threatening to take down suspension bills. Even one of their own, Democrat Illinois Representative Sean Caston, pissed off the Democrat leaders last month by forcing a roll call vote on a non-controversial bill to simply rename a post office. He argued that its author, Representative Trent Kelly, a Republican of Mississippi, had failed to condemn the violence on January 6th, and therefore Democrats should oppose the measure to rename the post office. Democrats have also threatened to blackball other Republicans who voted to challenge the election results of the Electoral College. Nazi Pelosi and her leadership team quickly put out that fire in their caucus, convincing the vast majority of members to support the Kelly-backed bill. Despite Liz Cheney's empathy for the objector's frustrations, GOP leadership hasn't exactly endorsed the anti-suspension strategy either. Steve Scalise said, I don't want to see any hostages. I want to see an open process. Now this issue will be difficult to resolve, Democrats say, because in part... Roy and Green are deploying the procedural tactics for two entirely different reasons. Representative Roy has called for regular order and more debate, something that Democrats say they could get behind. But they view Miss Green as motivated by little other than an urge to disrupt, leaving no obvious solution on the table. Even though Republicans have privately grumbled about Green's participation in the current floor uprising after she used motions to object to bills such as an LGBTQ rights bill that three in their party supported, the issue has lost some steam. Until Miss Green's threat yesterday, said one Democrat, who worked behind the scenes to try and resolve a procedural snag. Now that is front and center. Away, away, away. The bottom line here is the Democrats want to just simply ramrod every one of their bills right on through without debate, without discussion, and without a floor vote. We're in charge. We're going to get our way. So there's no sense in wasting our time hearing any argument or objection from you clowns on the right. So we're not going to stand for the fact that you're calling for debate, discussion, or even a vote. Welcome to Socialist America. We'll be right back. Steve Z of the Truth Hurts Program. Well, how to piss off half of the population. A story by Burger King. Yesterday, as you all know, was International Women's Day. And apparently everyone is now pissed off at the home of the Whopper. Monday was International Women's Day, an occasion where many companies try to pander to women most apparently and obviously so that those women will spend money at those companies establishments google for example announced it'll be contributing 25 million dollar to the google.org impact challenge for women and girls netflix created a fund for creative equity and burger king well according to an article today written in best life Burger King had the audacity to basically slap women right in the face. The fast food giant celebrated International Women's Day with a campaign deemed so offensive by women that many people demanded an apology and some even threatened to boycott the fast food chain. What did they do, you might ask? In an official Burger King tweet out of the UK, this is over in England, of course, at Burger King UK. They tweeted at 4.01 a.m. on March the 8th, 2021, Women belong in the kitchen. On International Women's Day, Burger King UK's Twitter account sent out a message that really pissed off their followers. Quote, Women belong in the kitchen, unquote. Intended to parody the sexist trope that women should seek a life of domesticity, the statement was quickly followed by a string of tweets providing some context to the seemingly offensive message. The brand was actually trying to highlight its new scholarship fund. The tweets that followed provided context to that message. If they want to, of course, was the second tweet. Yet, only 20% of chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career company promised to provide scholarships and career development opportunities to female identifying employees in order to help them secure jobs in the culinary industry. The brand took out a massive print ad with the message. Burger King took out the full-page ad in the New York Times using the same slogan. Below the controversial phrasing, women belong in the kitchen, Fine dining kitchens, food truck kitchens, award-winning kitchens, casual dining kitchens, ghost kitchens, Burger King kitchens. If there is a professional kitchen, women belong there. The brand went on to explain that only 24% of U.S. chefs are women. that Women hold only 7% of head chef roles in the U.S. Burger King's culinary scholarship, they wrote, would bridge the gender gap in the food service industry. Twitter account of Burger King executives have since apologized for the initial message. They thought it was cute. Women didn't. In response to the swift backlash, Burger King UK posted an apology. We hear you. We got our initial tweet wrong and we're sorry. Our aim was to draw attention to the fact that only 20% of professional chefs in the UK kitchens are women and to help change that by awarding culinary scholarships. We will do better next time. They also apologized for phrasing used in the tweet and the ad explaining that the company's intentions were good. They said, in the end, we are indeed doing something positive, but the headline we used ended up offending people, especially when used without context around it. Hopefully, over time, thanks to the actions we're taking, we'll continue to take, people will see that our intention was indeed positive. The chain deleted the tweet altogether. After posting the apology, the Burger King UK organization decided to take the tweet down, explaining that followers had begun leaving abusive messages in the replies. Many commenters continue to call on other followers to avoid purchasing food from the chain. They should have taken the Truth Hurts motto and said, We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. We'll be right back. Steve Z the Truth Hurts Program. Do you remember all of the deadly riots in Portland, Kenosha, Seattle, St. Louis, Louisville, Detroit, Minneapolis? Oh, I know why you don't remember them, because those were called peaceful protests. Well, the little skirmish at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th has now caused a strain in the court system when a top federal judge in Washington, D.C. convened court on a recent morning in one of the hundreds of cases stemming from the storming of the Capitol. It was pitch black outside of prosecutor Adam Alexander's windows. What time is it in Alaska? Chief U.S. Judge Beryl Howell asked. Why, it's 5.30 in the morning, the Anchorage-based assistant U.S. attorney replied cheerfully via Zoom. Although he was 3,300 miles away and dawn had yet to break, Alexander was on hand for the arraignment of James Mells, a Michigan man charged with breaching the Capitol in what he said was an attempt to protest certification of the presidential election results and share his copy of the Constitution with police. Nothing illegal about that. We all have the right to object and protest the certification of presidential election results that we feel were questionable at best and outright fraudulent at worst. And to share a copy of the Constitution with police who swear and affirm to uphold that document? Well, nothing wrong with that at all. Wow, Howell said, acknowledging the unusual long-distance arrangement. Next time, she said... Plead your need for sleep and remind me that you're in Alaska. The transcontinental hearing with the prosecutor in Alaska, the defendant in Michigan, and other participants in the D.C. area underscores the extraordinary lengths to which the Justice Department and the courts are going to process and prosecute hundreds of people accused in the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. With a D.C.-based team of federal prosecutors stretched thin, The so-called Justice Department has had to call in a cavalry of far-flung reinforcements. A review of more than 250-plus cases relating to the Capitol breach shows federal prosecutors from Fort Lauderdale to Wichita and San Francisco to Anchorage have heeded the call. Thirty cases have been assigned to attorneys who appear to be outside the staff of the U.S. Attorney General's Office in D.C., as it tackles what may be the most sprawling prosecution in history related to a single event. Yawn! The ever-expanding probe, which Gropy Joe Biden's incoming attorney, General Merrick Garland, has called his top immediate priority, has increasingly strained the justice system and requires extraordinary measures to churn through a growing number of cases. Dozens are simple trespassing cases. Others allege brutal assaults on Capitol Police officers while a mob loyal to former President Donald Trump overran Congress and forced a delay in the formal counting of electoral votes. (laughs) The number of cases assigned to prosecutors outside the ranks of the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office is modest, but it's growing steadily as more and more suspects are identified, usually from a combination of videos taken from social media or from surveillance or body cameras. Or tips from (laughs) ex-wives. Some prosecutors, such as Kansas-based Mona First or New Orleans-based Brittany Reed, have been assigned to multiple cases. Guess what, folks? They are just pushing and pushing this narrative that some horrible thing happened at the Capitol. It was a protest, not unlike the months and months of protests we saw in those Democrat-run cities. Perpetrated by Democrats, by BLM movement members, Antifa, NFAC, and other subversive black racist supporting organizations. The difference is nobody cares about those lives that were disrupted, those businesses that were destroyed, those police officers that were attacked by BLM, by Antifa, by NFAC. But they're going to spend the rest of the next four years making you all believe that this little skirmish at the Capitol building, which claimed only one life, the unarmed white woman named Ashley Babbitt, a U.S. Air Force veteran who was unarmed, was killed by a cowardly Capitol cop. But they don't want you to remember that. So they keep up the lie that five people were brutally murdered at the Capitol. When that is a bold-faced lie. Only one person was murdered at the Capitol. A police officer died days later from some other health complication. And across town, at the Ellipse, three very ardent Trump followers died of heart attacks. Such a shame. They can get away with this. And the sheeple, the stupid ignorant sheeple, Keep believing the lies. Steve Z of the Truth Hurts Program. It's headed for Gropy Joe's desk so the feeble old man can sign the $1.9 trillion relief package that they're calling a COVID relief package that will eventually deliver some $1,400 stimulus checks to a few Americans, extend some unemployment benefits and bail out failed Democrat-run cities throughout the nation. Yes, the House voted 220 to 211 to send the legislation on to Gropey Joe's desk, securing for him the first legislative victory since taking office two months ago. He is supposed to be signing the bill Friday, according to Jen Pisaki, the White House press secretary. House Speaker Nazi Pelosi said before the vote, this is a critical moment in our country's history. Today we have a real opportunity for a change. House Budget Chairman John Yarmouth, a Democrat from Kentucky said, I'm immensely proud that we will soon send this bill to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. We've acted with urgency that the pandemic demands. Again, the legislation will send $1,400 direct payments to individuals who make under $75,000 and $2,800 to married couples who make less than $150,000 a year. Individuals making up to $80,000 and joint filers up to 160 dollars will get some money, but not the full amount. The direct cash includes $1,400 per dependent, including adult dependents. And, of course, prisoners in prison. There's a $300 a week enhanced jobless benefit through September 6th, and it expands the child tax credit to $3,600 for each of your little churins up to age five, and $3,000 for your little churins between the ages of six and 17. So the more kids you have, the more benefits you gonna reap. In the morning, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, sought to throw a monkey wrench into the process by making the motion to adjourn the chamber, calling it a massive, woke, progressive bill that should be stopped. The House rejected her motion and kept on going. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said the bill is costly, corrupt, and liberal. Now even the Biden White House agrees it's very liberal. They called it, quote, the most progressive piece of legislation in history, unquote. Asked on Tuesday whether the package will be the final relief bill needed, Nazi Pelosi told reporters, you're just going to have to ask the virus if it stops mutating, if it stops spreading and therefore mutating, then this will be. What is interesting about this virus is that it is resourceful. It mutates, it has variants, and so, Two, we must be resourceful and resilient in how we deal with it. We will be on top of it. The major disappointment to the progressives, of course, is the provision to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. It was voted down after the Senate parliamentarian said it violated the rules for process of bypassing the 60-vote threshold. It also had some Democrat defections. Chuckle Schumer promised on Wednesday that the COVID relief package will make a big difference in the lives of Americans. He said it does so much good for the American people, and one of our missions is to show people that government can actually make their lives better. He, of course, is full of crap, as always. After the Senate passed the measure on Saturday, Gropey Joe said it was one more giant step forward in delivering on his promise that help is on the way, touting direct financial assistance. To Americans, In addition to all those child tax credits and direct payments, the bill is going to provide $14 billion out of $1.9 trillion, by the way, $14 billion for vaccine distribution, $49 billion for COVID-19 testing, contact tracing and personal protective equipment. It's going to give $125 billion for kindergarten through 12th grade schools, $40 billion for high school education, $39 billion in child care grants. $25 billion in rental assistance and $30 billion for public transit. What the hell does that have to do with the COVID 19 virus? Damned boondoggle, pork barrel spending wish list. Oh my God, why, why, why do we allow this to go on in America? Steve Z of the Truth Hurts Program. Wow, we're out of time for this segment of the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the US Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021 The Truth Hurts Program Network. All rights reserved.